You're listening to Deeper Magic. So it's funny because I just said, I'll lead us in. And then you said, I'll follow your lead. However, to start out the episode today, I have a BuzzFeed quiz for you. That is, which Gilmore Girls character are you based on? Um, oh, no, you did not tell me title, what this quiz is going to be. I did not, but the quiz under or the title under the quiz is "Where You Lead, I Will Follow." So it seems fitting. That does seem fitting. I literally thought that it was going to be some sort of Bible theology quiz. I had no idea that Rory and whatever the mom's name is—I can't even remember her name. Right Lorelai. Because here's the Lorelai, thing: is it thank September? you. And Luke, like Luke, isn't the isn't he like the love interest at the end of the deal? Yeah, we watched this whole show. You were so I invested. know, but. It, yeah, but I need to watch things like at least four times before I get it actually clocked That's actually into really my memory. True. Well, so, good okay, for what's you the nature of this? Well, it's September, which means that we have to rewatch Gilmore Girls because that's a thing. It's a fall show. And so I don't know Fair if enough. you know this, but every girl that I know who has watched Gilmore Girls, as soon as it is well, September, I'm not a girl, we're all... so I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't know this stuff. <laughs> as soon as it's September, we're all like, it's time to start watching Gilmore Girls again. Okay, I'm in. I, I will say this. That I sat, I, I think it was one of those shows that as a dad, mm-hmm. you sit down so that you can have a connection with your teenage daughter, right? Yeah. You know, because you know, by the time your daughter is a teenager, you're looking for any version of connection <laughs> you can find anywhere, whether it's a cup of coffee, whether it's a Slurpee. Yeah. I, I'm sure I'm sure Slurpees are not a thing. Slurpees? But no, like what, I've never had a Slurpee in my life. No, that's a 7-Eleven thing. I'm sorry. Like a smoothie. A smoothie is okay. like a, a healthy version of a 7-Eleven Slurpee. So if, if I could connect with you over a smoothie or anything at all, like I would just delight over doing that. So Gilmore Girls was mm-hmm. something I know that was incredibly meaningful in your high school experience. And yes. so, and I will say this, I got totally sucked in oh my to the gosh, story. You did. And I I've only seen it one time. Your mental breakdown with the season four finale, um, when there was like several relationships that started happening, some of which were excellent and some of which were like horrific in the plot of the show and i just remember watching you like actually have a breakdown on the couch watching that episode (laughs) for sure i did i got so invested in the show it's so So, but i've only seen every episode one time so just keep in mind i'm a little old Mm -hmm. and so i do need to see an episode a few different times to clock everything and now you're going to ask me a quiz there's a there's a buzzfeed quiz so about it's a Gilmore personality. Girls, when I can barely remember the mom's name, Lorelai is what you said, right? You don't need to. You don't need to remember anything about the show because it's a personality quiz. So I will ask you questions about your personality, and based off oh, of dear. your answers, they'll give you a, a character that you're like. So I just did my answers before we started recording, and I got Paris. Oh. <laughs> okay, that's pretty on brand. I was for you. like, I that do, was pretty. Accurate. I do. I just say, I really. So I'm gonna because when I've taken these different profiles before, I yeah. try to shape my answers according to who I want to be and not who I actually that's am. That's real. And so I'm gonna try We've all to done shape it. my answers to become. Uh, I really want to be Luke, or or because, avoiding the answers to get the to not get the character that you don't want. That's exactly right. Okay, yep. so fire away. Okay, how would your friends describe you? Are you ambitious? Quiet, opinionated, smart, fun, or quirky. And technically, uh, I'm your friend, so I would describe you as ambitious or opinionated. I was just going to say, probably, probably ambitious is probably how people would describe me. Yes. Okay. Fine. I would. Well, I would said ambitious or opinionated. 
I would say this. My, my I'm willing to change my opinions pretty quickly based on any version of evidence. And okay. so evidence, evidence will change my opinion. But but I think probably ambitious. I hope I'm fun. Like my spirit animal, if a spirit animal is oh, a thing, has always been an otter. And and otters are they just look like they're having a ton of fun. Every time I've seen an otter at a zoo, it literally looks like the only reason why they are backsliding down the fountain is because they just want to have fun. So I'm going to say ambitious or fun. I'll, I'll go but, fun because in terms of like my experience of you as a person, I don't experience yeah. you in your ambition because like okay, you're my okay. dad. Right. This is great. Then okay. fun. Then, right. then fun. What do your Friday nights usually consist of? Oh, my gosh. It depends on how old I've been. What? Like when no, I was 17, right it's now. different than when I'm just 52. Right. You're overthinking it. This is a BuzzFeed personality quiz. It's not that deep. Working, okay. listening to music, reading, eating, studying, or cooking dinner. Cooking Actually, dinner Give me those again. I'm 50. I can't remember that many options. I'm so old. Can I'm going to rule tell me out again. studying because you don't do that anymore. <laughs> so I'm going to say working. Listening I do too. To... I just studied Jonah tonight. We're going to talk about that in a but little bit. But that counts okay. as work. Um, working, okay. listening to music, reading, yep. eating, or cooking dinner. I mean, probably cooking dinner. But that's every night. So well, it is. I okay. So one more time, give me those options again. I, I promise oh you, gosh. I will have an I have an answer for you on the next one. Do you want me to screen share for you? Will that be easier? <laughs> it might be because because <laughs> I'm in then Scotland you can right see now. With Let's your be own clear. Eyes. I'm in I'm in Scotland right now. I'm not across the table from you. So tell me these answers one more time. Okay, hang on. I'm I'm sharing my screen. Or choice, not answer. My gosh. Yes. Just just. Oh, this wait. is gonna be so helpful. Okay. All right. Oh, I can see him working, listening working, to music, reading, listening to music. Uh huh. Well, eating. I mean, for sure I'm going to eat, but that's every night. I'm not going <laughs> to study. I'm probably going to read some version of Harry Potter right now that's because so I'm reading I'm reading early on Harry Potter to our youngest son Simon. I'm reading very later Harry Potter to Abby and Samuel. So, I let, let's just say reading. Reading is probably fair. Reading? Yep. That's such a roar. Is that answer. is that what Luke would do? Would no. Luke read on if you I'm were working. at Luke's diner, working. Wait, is that what Luke would do? When we're you moving work? on. You had your chance. Shoot. If you were at Luke's okay. diner, what would you be doing? Being needy. <laughs> I guess you know which answer is Lorelai. Yeah, I don't think we have to go any further. Cooking, working, doing homework, eating, or helping. Yeah, no, being needy for sure. That needy. checks out. Yeah, I think no, you're gonna get Lorelai at this point. Oh dear. Which of these snacks looks tastiest to you? We have okay. cheesy bread, cake, yep. pizza, yep. sushi, hot dog, or coffee. No, it's cheesy bread. I know you probably know. don't know that about me, but cheesy bread is 100% bread. my deal. Like, literally, there's never a time where I've been like, oh, no, there's cheesy bread oh, on the no. table. I Okay, for the last, like, three weeks at work, when I sit down to have lunch, I will make myself a grilled cheese with our chipotle mayo. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, my mm -hmm. gosh. It is so good. And I'll put, like, salt and pepper on the cheese as well so it like melts into it gorgeous and you you need to understand like chipotle wasn't even a word in my lexicon when i was your age i think they invented chipotle in the last 10 or so years and the fact that they can infuse mayonnaise with chipotle well and we is, make it uh, in-house like we make our own chipotle phenomenal. Mayo. it was such a good decision so anyway okay continue. all right what is your favorite color we have white red pink nope. green nope. yellow and blue nope yeah it's blue yeah I mean, of those options, it's actually orange, but I didn't get that option. So, so blue. All right. Which animal is your favorite? We have cat. cat. Done. Cat. Done. <laughs> done. Done. 
What if I mean, they the gorilla. Is, like, is what anybody if they had ever? Otter? Well, is otter a choice? No, but what if it was? Okay. Well, then maybe I would have changed. But nobody's favorite animal is a gorilla. I mean, out of the different choices, have you ever heard anybody in your life say, "You know what? I really resonate with the gorilla." That's hilarious. Um, no, so this the cat, question. For sure. This question made me actually laugh aloud. I hope you know this. It says okay. finally, how do you cheer up a friend when they're feeling down? Go shopping. Ignore them. <laughs> Sing their favorite song. I don't have I don't friends. Have Thank friends. you. That's my Bake them a cake or bring them to a party. I'm sorry. So go up again to the beginning. Go up to the beginning. I got to see the Go shopping? No. Ignore them? No. What? Sing? I can't. I don't hear. Can't I can't sing. hear. No. It's, so bake them a cake. I don't know how to bake. Bring them to a party? Maybe. But I, I'm just going to say I don't have friends. I, That's I have so a couple. funny. Okay. No, I'm like, just going to go with that. Is that. I was like, I would... I would bake them a cake of these options. I would bake them a cake, but that's also just not my go-to in terms of helping somebody feel better. Like, where is that the option? No, hey, it's, you also got Paris. You and I are both Paris. You are smart. Thank you. How and very ambitious. How could we possibly do a podcast together if we're both Paris? <laughs> yeah, this is the description. You are smart and very ambitious. You can be a bit of a handful at times, <laughs> but once people get to know you... They can't get enough of you. Oh, that makes my heart so happy. Right. I feel like there's something yeah. here about apple and tree and Yes, it didn't fall very far. Genetics. It didn't fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So you and I are both Paris Geller. I forgot Aww. that she was even a character in that show, Paris. but oh my gosh. She's such a she's good somebody character who's too. so annoying at first. And yet yeah. you just by the time you, there's such an endearing quality to her at the end of it. So Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I was talking with one of my friends about it the other day and I was like, Paris and Rory had like opposite character developments. Where Rory starts out fantastic and is so annoying by the end of the show, and Paris mm. starts out so annoying and is like wonderful by the end of it. You know what I never watched either is, and it was Paris in the sort oh, of the when they when they did the reunion shows. Was she, she in it? No, don't she say anything because I definitely want to see it sometime. But she was actually she showed up in mm-hmm. those. Was it like three ish episodes or four. something they did for four? Okay, yeah. And you you were a little mixed or mad about all of it. I mean, I had we mixed feelings about it. There was parts of it that I really really loved, and parts of it that I was like, nah. Okay. Well, I just when when Luke and Lorelai sort of sail off metaphorically into the sunset with Luke's boat and everything. It's such an epic end to mm-hmm. the final season of that show. So I was curious how the reunion went, but I've never seen it actually. So. So, okay. So I have questions for you. You bring to me on our Deeper Magic mm-hmm. podcast here. Our Jesus uh, podcast. A quiz from, thank you, <laughs> from BuzzFeed on Lorelai. I, so I have to speak at the university in which I teach. One of the universities in, where I teach, in mm-hmm. which I teach is the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And for some reason or another, they tend to invite me to speak to the entire university at chapel. A mystery where they have, of the ages. Yeah, right. For sure it is. (laughs) Sorry. Where they have two, maybe three weekly chapels where all the the students come together and they talk. So so I need you because I this is like legit. I don't know what I'm supposed to speak on. We are taping on September 24th. This will get released probably the first week in October. And on Monday, October 9th, I'm supposed to speak in chapel. And the theme is Thy Kingdom Come. Okay. Thy Kingdom Come. The Mission and Movement of Jesus. And I have a whole series of different kinds of topics on which I could speak, but I literally don't know which one to speak on. So let me give you the description of the chapel. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to just pick something for me, okay? Because I can't pick. 
See, so I'm going to give thing, you one. Is that your your quiz answers had way less impact on the world than this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. On my world, the fact that I'm Paris instead of Luke is a really big deal. Now I understand that the chapel thing is a big deal as well. So I'm going to give you six choices. Let me give you the description for chapel, and then you just tell me which one you think I should speak on, and then we'll revisit how it went maybe in one of our podcasts in late, late October. Okay, okay, you ready for this? Yeah. All right, here we go. I'll give you a Yelp review. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I bet it'll be three stars, like max, right? Uh-huh. Like Two and a half. Okay, fair enough. Here's the description, and then I'm going to give you six potential areas of focus as what was given to me via email. Here we go. This year, the spiritual formation team will be using text primarily from the book of Matthew. Okay, so you got that so far, book of Matthew? Mm-hmm. Do you even know where Matthew is? That was so rude. Yes, I know where Matthew is. The <laughs> yes. look of okay, let me ask you this. No, the <laughs> look of skepticism on my face is like, how much of the rest of the Bible are they talking about? Or are they only pulling Matthew out of context and talking about that? No, I think in fair, like, I actually, like, really enjoy the time in chapel. And I have a good okay. relationship with the chapel director. So, but let me just quiz you quickly. Is Matthew in the Old Testament, the Apocrypha, or the New Testament? <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's just move on. All right. We'll only be using text that primarily so from, rude. <laughs> from the book of Matthew. All right. And then this this sentence was great. Mm-hmm. Okay. This certainly is not required for you. Now, I am definitely known as a rogue professor who takes sort of suggestions as as maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Okay. So it's certainly not required, but I do want to stay within the flow of the rest, rest of the speakers. So mm-hmm. it says, please feel free to choose topics and passages that point to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, wherever they're found in scripture. Now, here are the potential areas of focus. You have to pick one of these six. Okay. You ready? Okay. The Lord's Prayer is one of them. Our Ooh. Father who art in heaven, right? Okay. okay. I also want you to know that I just Googled what is the Apocrypha. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know okay. that's part so, of the New Testament. No, it's like, not. What those, is... those are the six. The, the, well, not six. There's more than six. They're the disputed books of the Bible that if you're in a Catholic Bible, they fit in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and so my grandmother had a Bible that had the Apocrypha in it. And believe it or not, early Jewish Christians believe the Apocrypha was authoritative. It wasn't chucked out of the Bible until much later, especially at the time of the Reformation, that the Apocrypha was chucked out of the Bible. But it's like, oh, Tobit and Maccabees and Bell and the Dragon. There's a whole okay, series yeah. of books. That, that's what right? I thought. But, yeah, so but I, that's why I said Matthew is part of the New Testament. It's not part of the Apocrypha. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Matthew is definitely part of the New okay. Testament, but That's the Apocrypha confused, is the image. I was like, I'm sorry. it's not. And I was like, Matthew is definitely part of the New Testament. And you were like, no, it's not. And I was like, I'm no, sorry. I'm sorry. The, <laughs> the Apocrypha the is not part of the New Testament. <laughs> okay. Anyways. All right. So here we continue. go. So the here's Lord's choice prayer. number one. All right. So the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. the Sermon on the Mount. Oh. So Matthew 5, which. I, honestly, okay, you have to pick, right? But I don't know how you would possibly do the Sermon on the Mount in a 25-minute chapel talk. Okay, any of these topics, actually. But, I actually have an idea but, about that, sort of. Okay, so Lord's Prayer, Sermon on the Mount, the upside-down nature of the kingdom, meaning that the kingdom is upside-down in its values compared to the kingdoms of this world. Again, 25 minutes. Right, okay, so that's three. Joining... Christ in his mission and movement. Okay. 
Okay. You might get kicked Kingdom. out if you talk about that. Well, right. Uh, Kingdom parables. So the parables. Mm-hmm. All of them? And in then 25 s- minutes? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You're just going to pick and then I'll try to sort it okay. out from there. Okay? okay. 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 So that's five. So we have Lord's Prayer, Sermon on the Mount, Upside Down Nature of the Kingdom, Joining Christ in His Mission and Movement, Kingdom mm-hmm. Parables. And here's the last one. Signs of the Kingdom, Miracles, Healing, Command over Nature, etc. Please, please don't pick that one. It would be kind of funny, though. Please don't pick that. I like. Ugh. Okay, so those are the six: the Lord's Prayer, Sermon mm-hmm. on the Mount, Upside Down Nature, Joining Jesus, Kingdom Parables, Signs of the Kingdom. You get to pick, and I promise you, I will speak on whichever one it is. I think normally I would say the Joining Jesus one, but because you have twenty-five minutes and this is a one-off thing, and it's not a personal environment like your classroom, mm-hmm. the types of material that you would have to get into to really start to do that justice isn't going to be something you're going to have access to in this like chapel sermon thing. I don't know. It, is it technically a sermon? I feel like it probably. Well, is. it's it, it it's monological for sure, and mm-hmm. which is it, which is not the easiest thing to do, right? You know, especially yeah. in twenty five minutes to try to keep people interested and to say something of interest in a twenty five minute monologue is is yeah. never my favorite context, but I understand it as well. So yes, that's that's definitely the context. Yeah. So then I would probably say either the Lord's Prayer or the Sermon on the Mount, but particularly if you want to go for something new, because especially the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount are going to be really familiar topics to a lot of these students. Um, You could do, my first thought was that you could do the Sermon on the Mount, but instead of getting into the sermon itself, you could talk about the parallels between Jesus and Moses with Moses receiving the Ten Commandments um, mm-hmm. and how it that moment and the little bit of the verse, because I think we talked about this on the podcast with Holly and Noah at one point, but I can do a quick recap of it here as well, um, where the line about how Jesus and Jesus went up the mountain and opened his mouth and began to speak, saying, right? And how that's often dismissed as something that is just like a placeholder thing or like a setting the stage, I guess, for the Sermon on the Mount kind of idea. But really, when you get into the Hebrew of it, it is um, mirroring Moses receiving the Ten Commandments from God and is showing how Jesus really is the Son of God um, and also God himself while still being human and how he's giving the new law to the people, but it's through a direct relationship with God rather than like a mouthpiece of God. Mm, okay. Cause that well, I think you could cover in 25 minutes. I think I could too. And, and I think that without getting into the nuances of what is an extended, extremely long chapter, Mm -hmm. right? Well, a couple of chapters on the Sermon on the Mount, and actually the Lord's Prayer is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And so I I don't want to try to unfold the Lord's Prayer into that. But to your point, maybe one of the fundamental differences between the law of Moses and the law of Jesus is that there is this time or there's this prophetic word that's part of the Old Testament that a time is coming in which the law will be written on people's hearts Mm -hmm. versus on tablets of stone. And both are important and both were critical, but maybe that could be part of the contrast is what it means to be living a life of the Sermon on the Mount where it's actually part of who you are versus something that you're that you're trying to obey as yeah. God dwells with you 
in the Old Testament versus now the people have become the tabernacle of the Spirit, and and it's written on the, like the law is written on their hearts. So that that might be a pretty intriguing way to approach the Sermon on the Mount, where mm-hmm. it, we we talk about what the tablets were meant to do and how we're meant to live related to them. Okay, so done. Yeah. Sermon on the Mount is where I'll go with it. Well, and to do a quick recap of the whole Moses-Jesus parallel there is it is the idea that both of them go up the mountain to receive the law from God. But whereas yes. Moses goes up the mountain and comes back down to the people with the law that was given to him by God, the fact that it says that Jesus went up the up the mountain and opened his mouth and began to speak saying right because that's how it how it opens um yep. is the idea of he went up the mountain which would have been in the in the text not necessarily just hey fred is climbing a mountain we're about to receive new law from god but like setting it up in in the scriptures the the symbolism and the repetition of the idea of jesus going up the mountain is like okay we're about to receive new law here but then the fact that it's not, and God spoke to Jesus, telling him to give the law to the people, it's that Jesus opens his mouth and begins to speak, is it solidifies Jesus's status as the new Moses, because he is both the one who is giving the law to the people from God, but is also in the role of God, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's kind it of that yeah. duality of him being both human and God in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about that, that I really, really love is that because he is functioning as both man and God in that moment, the new law is given to the people directly. Um, and so it is also, it's a new law, but it's also a new relationship between God and man where it's not, God has to go through specific like leaders or figures to speak to the people. He can just now speak to the people directly. Yeah. Well, I think that that certainly is present, right? When the when the veil of the temple tears in two and God's presence explodes out among the people. Yeah. So now that we actually can interact with God directly. But I, I think, and tell me what you think about this. I wonder how many Christians are understandably but wrongly living in sort of an Old Testament mentality, meaning that they hear the commands of God and they need to try to obey them the best that they can, which is so much about what happened with Moses coming down from the mountain. He's got the 10 commandments and they need to, they need to obey him is that by contrast, the language of the new Testament is that now your heart will be circumcised. You won't just have an external mark of circumcision. Your heart will actually be circumcised in such a way that you will learn how to obey God from the inside out, meaning your very desires and your ideas and your attitudes will increasingly become aligned with who Jesus is and what the kingdom is, so that obedience is just the natural outflow. Like you, you're mm-hmm. not thinking, oh gosh, I've got to obey, I've got to blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You just are increasingly becoming the kind of person where the law is written on your heart versus on tablets of stone. But do, do you think that, understandably, again, a lot of Christians are living where, well, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't really want to do it. And so I'll do it anyway because I don't want God to get mad at me or whatever else. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like the difference between yeah. Old Testament and New Testament is living by, I know what I think I should do, but I don't do it very well versus the New Testament is I'm increasingly having my desires change 
so that they're in alignment with the kingdom. So obedience is just kind of who I am. Does that make sense? I think it does make sense. Um, I think I don't see a lot of practical application in that. And I'm like, I'm not saying that about other people. I'm saying that about myself, I guess. Um, okay. Where I, I wasn't thinking about it until you said it, but I definitely live in a very Old Testament sort of thing. Um, but not in the sense of it's like, oh, I don't want this or I don't want to be living my life this way, but I have to or God is going to smite me kind of thing. I don't know if that's what sure. you're talking about, but no, I just let me... mean in terms of the idea of like, okay, there are these ideas about how I want to live my life in order, like, hmm, I want to be careful about how I say this because I very firmly believe that um, relationship with God is always accessible and completely unconditional, even regardless of whether or not you believe in him. Like that is something yeah, I that I believe wholeheartedly and that it is it really is not based off of your actions or your like worthiness, I guess, quote unquote. Um, but the thing that I would say is that I think I have this idea of like, okay, if this is the God that I, that I worship and that I want to follow and that I want to devote my life to, here are the ways that I think that that applies to my life. And those things aren't always easy to live mm -hmm. out. Like they're not always like, oh, this is my first inclination. This is my first, like, this is the thing that I want to be doing or the easiest way out, I guess. Um, but because I have that relationship with God and because I want to continue to pursue that relationship with God, I'm making active choices mm -hmm. some of the time to to align with those ideas or those beliefs i was gonna yeah, say yeah. most of the time but i was like no really as a person like some of the time um uh, and and hoping to increase how often i'm doing that okay does that make sense so okay it, it totally does let me let me give you an example and see if this helps try to bring into real life what what i mean by this is that especially early on as a dad and we end, you know your mom and i ended up having five kids as you know mm -hmm. But as a dad early on, I, there there was a heavy weight of responsibility that I felt as a dad, meaning that I probably had an idealistic picture of what a good dad is supposed to be, right? Where somebody that's there early on in life to do some of the bottle feeding and mm -hmm. change the diapers to being there uh, when for the first steps to playing Legos and Polly Pockets and, and all of that. And, and then into doing homework and being there for the different activities and all of that. And certainly there was a message that I received from the church and from peers at that time about what a responsible father is supposed to do. Yeah. And I, and I really like, I thought, okay, I need to do that as a responsible father. But I had a conversation with your mom pretty early on as we were, as the family was growing. And I said, you know, do you think that our kids will know, uh, or something along these lines is what I said. Do you think, do you think our kids would know if their dad was doing things because he knew it was the right thing to do? And there was a sense of responsibility to do the right thing versus, he was just doing those things out of an expression of genuine love for his kids. So the difference between oh, yeah. love and responsibility. And and I think, and, and the answer to that question for sure was, well, it was an obvious, I thought, oh gosh, 
I don't want to be a dad of responsibility. Mm-hmm. I want to be a dad who whose kids know that the reason why he's there for the poly pockets and changing diapers and there for the homework and and all along the way is because there's a genuine desire to be with and to love his kids mm-hmm. versus this is a responsibility that I have similar to my vocation or whatever else. There, there's such a difference yeah, in that. Got it. And that's I think that's what I mean between the Old Testament version and and that's not a fair characteristic of the Old Testament. I'm just just suggesting no, right. that I would suggest that, what, that that's not how Old Testament morality works, but that's often how Old Testament morality yes. is taught in the modern church. Thank you. That's exactly right. And mm-hmm. so I think what I'm suggesting is the Sermon on the Mount is this sort of invitation where Jesus is actually pressing on the religious leaders of the day to say, fine, you tithe your mint and cumin and all the other stuff. Like you do all of the external works that you're supposed to do according to the law, but inside your heart is the, it's the bones of dead men. Mm-hmm. You literally, you, you look great on the outside. You're a whitewashed tomb, but on the inside, you're filled. Which is such a filled. banger of a line, by the way. It is. It is. Okay, so now I know what I'm going to talk about at chapel in light of what we're talking about here is the difference between an external-based spirituality where you look wonderful on the outside because you're just trying to keep up and, and, and even for good, for good reasons, you're trying to do the right thing. But when inside you feel like you're just filled with the bones of a dead person, I think is how many people end up experiencing their Christian faith Yeah. versus Jesus saying, no, I'm, I'm inviting you to an inside out life where I actually teach you from the inside out how to love other people well so that your actions naturally begin to just flow from the heart of love that I'm creating in you versus responsibility versus you have to look good versus duty versus uh, obligation, like all of that. Does that make sense? Does that make better sense what I mean? That makes a lot more sense. And then I think in that case, like even, even me saying that like I sometimes do that is probably more the idea of a new Testament kind of faith rather than an old Testament kind of faith in terms of how it's being perceived, because I very much am aware of the fact that I don't always live my life that way or live my life according to those values. Um, but I am trying and it's Mm -hmm. because I genuinely want to be living my life that way. Not because I feel like I have to, or because I'm afraid that God is going to smite me if I don't, because that is also the thing that I see most often is that it's not that there's a lack of emotion associated with the spiritual works or the whatever. It's actually that the emotion behind it is fear and it's specifically fear of hell. Like, that's the thing that I see most often is that it's, yeah, it's not like, a oh, I'm just going through the motions because this is what you do. It's the, I'm going through the motions because if I don't, I'm going to go to hell. Yeah, for sure. And and that's like, the invitation is a wonderful invitation, I think, from God to say, as your inner person is is being increasingly transformed or renewed in the ways of my kingdom, like that, that's just the peaceful life. I, can mm-hmm. you think of a more peaceful life than you experience your day through the lens of loving other people and just a sense of joy and a sense of maybe even certainty and faithfulness and like all of these kinds of things. I think that's the invitation of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is saying is that you can, well, and, and at that time, the Pharisees had around 610 different rules that they were imposing upon the people by which they had to live. And that just feels like a heavy weight. Jesus yeah. said, you're, you're tying heavy weights around people versus when you're living from the inside out. I, I don't struggle to eat a Kit Kat. I use this example all the time in, in school. Nobody has to tell me, you know, you should really go eat a Kit Kat. But my desire is for the Kit Kat. So there's a real freedom 
when I see a Kit Kat to say, well, I'm going to eat that Kit Kat. Well, I don't think that being a good parent or being a person who loves other people easily is all that different than saying that I just want alignment in my heart about how I see other people and then treating them well versus this constant struggle of, and and I get it. Like, I know it's going to be a struggle. We don't get there overnight, but, but I know to the extent that I felt like I was more of a parent of responsibility versus a parent of love. I started asking God, I'm like, what's wrong with me that I don't just easily and readily and freely and openly spend time with my kids? What, what am I burdened by that has prevented me from doing that? And that was quite the journey. I will say that for sure. Yeah, no, I I can see how that would be the case. And I think part of what you were saying about the idea of like, what would it be like to live your life in that kind of way? Um, No, I think that's such an important question. And I think that's part of why, why I do want to live my life that way, which I feel like doesn't make sense as a sentence. But also it is the idea of like, in the times in my life, when I have been living according to those values, um, which I would really strongly suggest are not necessarily the values put on you by the Christian church, but right. the the values that I have come to understand out of a God of love, um, when I have been living my life out of that relationship between me and God, those are the times in my life when I have felt the most grounded and the most centered and the most sure of who I am and the happiest and most at peace and whatever. And it doesn't mean that that doesn't get shaken, um, but... But living out of that relationship makes me want to live out of that relationship more. Hmm. Does that make sense? It it really does. Yeah. And I think one of the great remedies to the perceived, but I think fair critique of the hypocrisy that some people outside of the church experience of visible people within the church. And I want to be really careful here because there are so, I, I would even say this, that the vast majority of people who are in institutional church insofar as I've experienced that over 30-ish years are really well-meaning, good-hearted, good-natured people. Uh, we, we certainly have had so many thin versions of discipleship that even know yeah. how to like transform from the inside out. But, but if hypocrisy is simply my outside actions <clears throat> don't mirror my inside reality, mm-hmm. then I think a lot of people, just because we've had such a thin theology, a thin idea of discipleship where your inner life can become aligned with your outer expressions. Yeah. Then yeah, then I then no wonder we're in those places. And and I don't have as much sympathy for some of the visible leaders of churches that are perpetrating some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But but I would say for the thousands and, and tens of thousands of people, they're well meaning good people uh to that that would like to have a different kind of experience where they feel like I really can love other people well, and even my enemies. I really yeah. can have a peace that passes understanding, to use the language of Paul, or joy or in the sorrows, whatever that looks like. I think that's the life that we're all looking for. And certainly, Jesus is pressing on that in the Sermon on the Mount, that that life is, is possible. Um, I'll be curious, in, in presenting just even that idea that this life yeah. is possible from the inside out at chapel, I'm just curious... Because there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of evangelical kids coming into this chapel. I'm just curious what the response will be. Yeah. And I think I had a really interesting experience a couple of weeks ago with the idea of like seeing those moments in life or finding those moments of that peace and that security and that contentment and whatever that comes out of living relationship with God, 
rather than like living by the law, but those really like honest, raw human moments, which is part of what I find so compelling in like different books or music or whatever that I am am enjoying is those I find myself drawn to the media that is just so raw and so human in so many ways um, because I feel like those are the moments where I find God. Um, But I had the experience a couple of weeks ago of being in a meeting with some people where we were talking about this art project called My Anonymous Church. Um, And I sent you the link, Dad, so you should be able to pull it up. But this is I did see it. On yeah, this is so interesting. Um, so yeah. you should be able to find it. I just said on the internet, like I'm a 75 year old woman. What was that? No. <laughs> Dude. On, on the internet. Now I'm offended. I, I <laughs> the World Wide Web is what I call it. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, so there is this my anonymous church, um, and I think this is a really beautiful project because we actually had the chance to have the creator come in and talk to us a little bit about about this project that she has wait i'm sorry back up for just a second so so you're saying that this idea concept expression called my anonymous church Mm -hmm. and you sent me the link to this sort of thing you're saying that the person who founded this yeah showed up somehow in your life yeah, so I'm and this I'm, is and this is connected to what we just talked about, like related to all the chapel stuff. I'm just yeah. trying to I'm okay, all right. I'm following in terms you of now. those really honest moments of of finding uh, God, right? Yeah. Um, yep, that's that's very fair. Yeah. So the creator the creator's name is Linda Badami, and she came in and spoke to um a group that I'm involved in, and she was the the founder of this art project. Um and the basic idea of my anonymous church, I'm on the about page right now. Um, is she says, an ongoing interactive art project documenting where we go and the things we do to connect to our spiritual spaces. Um, and so it's mm. kind of this exploration. She has described herself as, um, oh, I can't remember how she said it, but I think she said something about how she is agnostic. Um, but the idea is very much of her being like, I think that these spiritual places are so important and the way that we connect to this is so important. And I think it can tell us something fundamental about who we are as human beings and how we connect to the world around us, um, which I think is really beautiful. And so there isn't, yeah, she said submissions can be pious, outlandish, melancholy, funny, quiet, tender, unconventional, serious, joyous, defiant, questioning, devout, unconstrained, simple, as long as they are true. These are images of faith as a practicality, wow. as a strategy, publicly presented to amplify extraordinary common voices. Submissions are anonymous. Participants are identified by age only, which I think is really interesting. Um, and the submissions are open, so you can turn in whatever. And then under frequent... Um, questions. She One of the first ones is, I don't really believe in God, so I'm not sure this project is for me. And her answer is, you don't have to believe in God, just an image of what makes sense to you. Um, and so it's this really beautiful collection where people have sent in these images with little descriptions of where they find spirituality in their lives. Um, and so I would really encourage people to check it out. It's really cool. Um And the thing that she said that I thought was really interesting is that the places where people or like the most common submissions that she sees are in nature, 
in relationship, and in art. Those are the three. Almost nobody has sent in pictures of religious institutions. But over and over and over and over again, what she finds are pictures of forests or rivers or skies or whatever, people calling each other or sitting with each other or people sending in books, music, um, art, crochet, drawing, like all of these different. But but those are the themes that she sees over and over again are relationship and community, nature and art of some kind. Well, gosh. And, and I think what's fascinating about that, because I, I think there's sort of like the the hair maybe on my right arm stood up a little bit, but yeah. maybe not my left arm, but my right arm did just with that idea of, again, that I think some people might hear that and say, oh, great. It's just another place where you're creating your own truth. But, but I think to the extent that that might be true, right? I get it. I get the critique, but I think it's missing then what maybe there's an underlying much more pervasive issue. And it's exactly what we've talked about is that I think people often experience institutional religion, and let's just use Christianity now, like institutional yeah. religion, as something that has a falsity about it. Mm-hmm. And so if there's a if there's a backlash to the the perceived, however fair and unfair it is, the perceived falsity of institutional religion, then it's just, hey, I just here's what I know my experience in nature is something that is true, meaning that I'm truly experiencing the wonder and beauty and power of leaves turning colors or of a little squirrel running by. I just golfed today and there was a, there was a whole uh, herd, I suppose, of deer. There was like five or six Scottish deer. Oh, I really deer. thought you were going to say squirrels. And I was like, no, a not herd a herd of, squ- of squirrels. And I, and I'm sure, I, I, yeah, I don't even know what a collection of squirrels is. We'd have to look that up. But, and I'm sure it's not a gaggle of squirrels because it's it, a gaggle of, yeah, please do. So, so why are you doing, but like there's, there was a, on the 18th hole, there was a good solid herd of deer, probably five or six. And many of them were little and they were beautiful. And it all felt terribly real. And when did you, did you find the squirrel thing, I by did. the way? It's called a scurry. A scurry of squirrels. (laughs) I want to be a part of a scurry. That's so I would feel I would feel decidedly less lonely in life. Back to our Lorelei conversation where I have no friends. If I was part of a scurry, I I know I I would be known. But but the point of that is that I mean there was something very real and tangible of being on the golf course and in nature. I knew that was real. Watching Mm -hmm. the deer was real. Or when I am Having, I just had a wonderful conversation with a friend tonight at a pub here in Scotland. We talked all about Jonah, which I will be for a future podcast, but I had yeah. no idea. I, I literally didn't know that Jonah 2 is a psalm, number one. What? And that in this, yeah, exactly. Thank you. It, okay. It's actually helpful to read the Bible from time to time. That's so uh, weird. And, I don't uh, do that. I, Sorry. Like, just, I, <laughs> Like we know our theology, but we don't know our Bible. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, uh, so Jonah well, two is a song. Bible, sort of, but I don't know theology. Well, I know, and I'm just saying we teach theology. We hardly ever teach oh, scripture. Yeah. And so, Jonah two is the psalm, and he's literally talking about the idea that he was in Sheol, he was in the place of the dead, and God resurrected him, 
uh, using the word arise, which is the same word that Jesus used of Talitha, where he raises from the dead. I know. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 12 about this idea of, I'm going to give you the same sign as Jonah, which is quite likely that Jonah was raised from the dead uh, while he actually died in the belly of this fish. Like all of this stuff is going on. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about it on a future yeah. podcast, but it blew my mind today. And the point is, is that here's what I know is that a relationship with my friend mm-hmm. over a pint of really good cherry chocolate stout Ooh. was was true and it was real. And so I had this experience in nature with the deer. I had experience at the pub and it was real. There's nothing false about any of it. Yeah. And then I think about art and I think about the times that even again, being here, we went to a Monet exhibit and I'm not a huge mm-hmm. art person. I love and I, Monet though. I, it was brilliant. And I, I have to confess that when we were in France, the one time I actually, we went to, was it, I think it was the Monet exhibit. Whoever did the kiss, who, who is the sculptor of the, of that famous, Oh, the kiss sculpt. Uh, it's yeah, not Monet. That is not Monet. I don't know. Who, um, um, shoot. I know. Uh, the let, me, let me look, let me look it up. Uh, oh, cause we, your, your mom and I saw it. Um, oh, Rodan. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. So, so we, <laughs> and this is where like, I should probably never say this out loud for fear of going to jail, but I, I love to actually touch if they're available, these historic sculptures. and <laughs> So I actually did touch Rodan's The Kiss, uh, My on art- display. Okay. I know you're not supposed to, but My. I did. I did. And, and so, but the, but it was very real and it was moving. That's and the point sin, of all of it, way. that's for sure a sin. It, it might, well, if it is, it's an Old Testament one and I'm forgiven. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> the about the that. point that of all of debatable. it, yeah, maybe, maybe this is one of the unforgivable sins. But, but the point of all of that is that nature was real, relationship was real, art was, was very real. And I think that's what people are longing for, isn't it? Like just not having a, a life of duty and a life of falsity and a life of I need to do X, Y, Z. But I would but I would rather go to the anonymous church and turn in an art mm-hmm. depiction of something that was real to me and my spiritual journey than play some game of pretend. Well, and I think part of what you're saying with the idea of people are just so desperate to find something true and something real, it's part of what I really love about the idea of this project of the Anonymous Church and the idea that the people who are turning in submissions are only identified by their age, um, because then we don't have any clue about like who they are or where they came from or what their background is, what their ethnicity is, um, what their orientation or their gender or like any of that, what their religious background is. We don't get any of that information all we get to see is how old they are um and so i think there's something really beautiful about that and especially the fact that the three themes that keep kind of showing up like i said are the idea of community art and nature is it i feel like it boils it down to some really sort of essential humanness that people are really looking for that feels really true like some essence of something Um, That we maybe haven't figured out how to express in words yet, but that is showing up in these pictures. And, And part of what I really love about this is that with people only being identified by age is that it's actually, I think that one identifying factor is bringing people closer together rather than further apart because it's showing us that we actually have more in common like across generations than we might think that we do. 
um, regardless of any of these other factors that we tend to think of as dividing things. Does that make sense? It totally does. I, I, I think it's actually really important to s- insight to to what you're with what you're saying there to pay attention to, because I think there's such a divide in our life experience in terms of how you are growing up in the world versus the world in which I grew up and now I'm experiencing it. And in the train of your world is pretty unfamiliar to me mm-hmm. in terms of how I just I didn't grow up with phones. I didn't grow up with uh watching friends on screens and developing relationships that way. And that I don't like in saying that is not to diminish that at all. I just, you're the train of your world is wholly unfamiliar to my world, except that I think what connects us is that our experiences and our desires are exactly the same. And, and I think that's what actually connects us to hundreds of years ago to thousands of years ago is there's a sense of meaning and truth and purpose and desire to what we're doing in life. And so this anonymous church is a group of people that may look and sound and act and and live their lives very differently than I might, but their desires are much the same in yeah. terms of what they're hoping for in life. And, and I think it just speaks to, if we let it, and not because we're in such like this massive machine called the institutional church that does have some wonderful things that go on within it. But because it's such a massive machine, I think it's very difficult to course correct to really uh, accommodate people who are searching for value and meaning and purpose in these ways that no wonder the anonymous church popped up because yeah. they weren't going they they weren't going to find a home and the existing church, and yet they still have the same spiritual questions that you do and that I do, that even though, again, I've said it now twice, but the terrain of our lives are very different, yeah. the questions are the exact same. And, and they will remain this, they will absolutely remain the same across the generations. And so I think it's just an invitation to think about if if we let it, why don't we pay attention a little bit and say, this is what people are longing for. And that's why these expressions pop up like the anonymous church and instead of just disregarding them saying well that's stupid because they're just being you know spiritual and it doesn't have any meaning and it's about them what let's just pay attention to what the questions are around that people are are truly seeking uh an experience of alignment with their inner self and their outer world and so many people don't have it yeah yeah absolutely and i think one of the things that the the creator of this project said that i I really loved in in the meeting when we were able to have conversation with her, which was so cool, um, is she said, I think believing that God doesn't love me is arrogance in reverse because who am I to think that I'm the exception to his love? And she was talking about, mm. if I understood her correctly, that that's part of the foundation of this project is that these are moments where people are experiencing spirituality or God's love in some capacity, whether they would call it that, like not necessarily her being like, what you call spirituality, I know is God's love kind of thing. But the idea of like, I call this God's love. I call these moments places where I feel God's love and you call them spirituality or you call them whatever, right? Because here's the thing is that, um, I mean, wow, not to fall back on like a huge Christian cliche, but the idea of like, it's faith for a reason. We don't know. Um, 
And so I get really like up in arms about the idea of of people being like, well, you can call it whatever you want, but I know that it's God. And I'm like, I don't know that right. it's God. That's just what I believe it is. That's my experience of it. That's what I would call it. Um, but I just think that this idea of like, hey, there is something that is binding us together. And in in my faith experience, I would call it God. I would call it God's love. And I think it's showing up over and over and over again in this art project is this this humanness thing that I've been talking about um, that is showing up in the essence of these photos, um, regardless of of what you might call it. But, yeah, I think, like you said, it is just the the same questions over and over again, regardless of who you are or where you come from or what your story is. It's it's the same questions. It is the same questions and people are trying to find and express meaning in their lives in light of those questions. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if you look back at 2000 years of Christian history, there have been wonderful moments in which the questions that we're asking about truth and living not in falsity and all of that, that they, they do find their expression in movements of Christianity. And other times it's, it's a little harder to find that expression in that. And I, I just, yeah. I think we're living in a time right now where it's just a little harder sometimes. I'll say it this way: that it's that's way true. But there's eight billion people on planet Earth, right? Yeah. So let, let's narrow that. Let's narrow this down a little bit. That in some versions of Western, primarily wealthy, primarily evangelical-based culture, mm-hmm. it's it, it can feel difficult at times to feel like you're not just a fraud in terms of what's going on in your inner world and how you are expected to express it in the outer world of your faith. And I just think there's such a different invitation. And again, the Sermon on the Mount, if we actually pay attention to it, is this wonderful invitation where people can experience a different kind of alignment that brings peace between their outer world and their inner world. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I think people are longing for peace between their outer world and their inner world. Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really good way to say it. Um, yeah, that's everything that I have on this topic. Well, and I like I have a th- like we need to wrap this up. It just so you yeah. know, for the next podcast, like the, the couple of topics we need to revisit Jonah because mm-hmm. I've had my mind blown in terms of my my experience of Jonah was again primarily Veggie Tales. So yeah. the idea that Jonah was actually raised from the dead is mind blowing to me. Number one, and the other thing that we well, there's there's a number of things that we could talk about. Jonah being among them, but we also have to talk about this person who is at 46 years old trying to live a life of reducing his biological yeah. age to the age of 18. He's like he sold his company for 300 million dollars. He is trying to live forever. And my question for you in our next podcast is going to be. Would you rather know that you could live forever in this sanitized, horrible version of life that this person is living, but he's not going to die? At least that's the theory. Yeah. But given given the compromises he has to make to, quote, not die, mm-hmm. would you rather live that or would you rather take a shot that this Christian thing is true that you actually, if you die, well, when you die, you're not a if, when you die. Well, according to him, you will, if. Yeah, exactly. But when you die, you will ultimately be raised from the dead and rule and reign as kings and queens over the renewed earth. Like, which would you pick? The certainty of a horribly dehumanized, sanitized life or the relative uncertainty that we know what the Christian story is, 
but nobody's really experienced the other side and come back with any reliability to tell us if it's if it's actually true, other than, of course, you know, Jesus was raised from the dead. So so in theory, we get a look at the other side. So that anyway, in the next podcast, we'll talk a little bit about Jonah and we'll talk about whether or not you would rather live forever, forever in a sanitized, dehumanized life or take a shot at this Christian story being true. How does that sound? That sounds amazing. And I have some stuff to bring in to next episode because I recently had the privilege of doing a very small study um, with Noah and Holly on the idea of what does it mean to see and be seen by God. Um, yeah, And right. so that stuff was really crazy as well. And I would love to bring that into the next episode too. That sounds wonderful. Well, it was super fun. I mean, you're in the United States. I'm in mm-hmm. Scotland. It was super fun to do the podcast with you. Yeah, I miss you. I can't wait to see you again. Indeed. This has been The Deeper Magic. I'm Peter. Say bye, Anna. Bye, Anna. <laughs> we'll talk <laughs> to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Deeper Magic is produced by Audio on the Rocks, and our music for this episode is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. You can head on over to filmmusic.io and find that there, all licensed under Creative Commons 4.0, viewable on the site as well.